My name's Sarah Frick, and you're listening to Are You For Real? A podcast all about being real. Like, really real, not just cute Instagram real. Like, real. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Are You For Real? with Sarah Frick. Um, Today, we are talking with Jillian Zettler, who is the executive director of Charleston Wine and Food Festival. She is also um, a sweet friend of mine and an amazing woman and mom and an amazing, amazing spin instructor, and I'm super, super picky. So before we get to Jillian, I'm going to answer some of y'all's questions, and these are some goodies. I'm, I'm really excited about this. Marketing, 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 marketing. Marketing has shifted so much since I um, started teaching um, because it was like before social media. I think there was like MySpace. (laughs) And I never would have thought to promote myself that way. I feel like I'm trying to think back to what it was. It was a lot of paper schedules. It was right when MindBody came out. For those of you that are in fitness, you know, like MindBody is the huge point of sale system. but it was basically like you'd have a paper schedule, you would tell a friend, you'd make a call on a landline, and you would grab your yoga mat and your, you know, flare yoga pants, and you would come on down to the studio. And since we are in a totally different environment right now, um, social marketing is very, very useful. I find for me it is probably the two best ways of marketing that we have found for our business. And I think a lot of people could agree with this is, is some sort of social media and word of mouth. Um, so if you, if I'll just speak to word of mouth first, cause it's a lot shorter, you know, if you got people that are loving you, they're going to tell their friends and they're going to bring their friends and you know, they'll also put on social media I love this class. This class makes me feel this way. And I feel so inspired and jazzed and look, oh my gosh, all of a sudden I have a six pack too. Wow. Um, and so it it does go hand in hand with, um, you know, the, the social media aspect of it and the, the word of mouth aspect to it as well. Um, so I, for, for me, marketing starts as soon as you walk in the door. So I talked about this, I think on my, on a podcast, another podcast I did about having, um, like a kitchen party atmosphere And what that looks like, you know, for me is that people walk in and you're like, oh my gosh, you're here. I'm so happy you're here. How are you? You know, what's going on? Remembering something. Hey, you told me you're going on that trip. How is that trip? Or I I remember you telling me, you know, like something's going on. Your mom was sick. Like, how are you doing? People want to be seen. They want to feel connected. They want to be heard. They want to be appreciated and not in a way that's like, fake as shit. You know, like I know I've walked into places where and they're like, Sarah, Hey, long time. No see. So it looks like you've been coming twice a month. How about we get this package going? Like I don't need a used car salesman in my life and neither do the people that are coming to fitness, right? They're looking to connect to their workout because what, what I wholeheartedly believe is that when we do move, um, it's movement therapy. So if you're starting that experience off, like right off the rip, like make eye contact. And I am bad at this sometimes too. And we just talked about this at my last staff meeting that like when we're at the desk, put your phone down, 
Like, I don't care if you're playing with your playlist. I don't care if you don't need to post about it right then, right? Like, make the connection. One of the last things that I, and I think about this, like one of the ultimately, like the very last things we can all do that's not online, you can buy your clothes online, you can buy your groceries online, you can find your husband online. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can book your travel, you can do all this, like, we get to be together in a room moving and sweating together. You cannot do that in that room and that much of a collective energy online. Yes, you can stream classes and have an amazing experience. Don't get me wrong. Check out our streaming. However, <laughs> this is like a crazy, amazing experience that you get to do in a community of people. And with the way our world is, it's, it's, it is so, we're so in our phones and we're so head down that I wanna start that like as soon as you walk into the studio. So I think that's huge as well. Another thing that we do, I do have, um, we do have help with some of our busier check-ins, but for the most part, my girls, and I, most of them really want to do this too, they do their check-ins, or at least they're there for the check-in so that they can be like, you know, we start to know people's names um, and people's faces. And it is a lot to know, believe me. It is like, there's so many times where I'm like, I feel like such an ass, but what is your name? Um, I'll tell you guys a little secret and I'm totally blowing my cover, but that's because I love you. What I do is I'm like, hey, remind me your last name? And they're like, Bronzewinski. And you're like, oh my gosh, Jen, I'm going to remember that. Because you look down the list, there's only one Bronzewinski. And then you get to call that person their first name. So that was my secret. <laughs> um, so getting to know people, I think, is the first step. Like marketing happens when you walk in the door. Um, then let's talk about like social a little bit and self-promotion. So there is a very, this is a, I want to say like, slightly controversial issue of um, what some people think and what some people do and what other people think and what other people do. And I know that when you put yourself out there constantly and you are like, I'll just speak for myself, but when, you know, I'm the face of this business. And so there is a lot of me on my personal social media page. And it is a lot of me talking about the works and it is a lot about me promoting my classes or promoting my teacher's classes or promoting the podcast or the streaming or whatever it is. And, you know, the, peop the, the people that are following me for the most part are interested in all these things. And so like when I first had to start doing it really hardcore, like a little part of me died. I was like, oh my God, am I selling my soul? And no, I'm not. Like I'm talking about shit that jazzes me and that I love. And also that's lucrative, not only for me, but for everyone that works for me and for my family. And so yes, you, it might not be for everyone. I, I, I've, talk to many a yoga teacher who's like, I want to take the next step, but I just can't do it. I don't know how you put yourself out there like that. And I've had conversations where it was kind and it was like, I, you know, you know, props to you and other people that are like, I mean, I just, I don't know how you put yourself out there like that. And I'm like, screw you. Bye. I got 60 people in my room and they're not there to feed my ego. They're there because I'm selling them something that they need and they want. And I think that is, that again is about owning it. Like own it. It's okay to own it. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person because you own it and it's successful. And that was a piece for me that I had to like, that's when I had to break away from the unanswerable question of, you know, do you like me? Because it's not going to be for everybody and your people will find you and the people that it turns off, they'll unfollow you. They don't care. When I put up personal posts, it's interesting. They're a lot of the times the ones that get the most likes and I usually get the most unfollows from them as well because it makes people uncomfortable. And I always say this, you know, it, I, I want to be who I am 
on my social media page, when you meet me at the studio, when you meet me at the grocery store. And I always say about my classes, I am not there to make you feel comfortable. I am there to make you feel something and to like check yourself out because that's, that's what my work is about. And that's why I do what I do. Yes. Is there a fitness element? Hell yes. Will you have like a dance party in there and listen to killer music and sweat your ass off? Absolutely. Will we hopefully walk out of there as friends? That's my, that's my hope. And at the same time, like I have to be consistent with that and I can't show up one way in one space and expect there to be a delivery on the other end without doing the work to promote it. So one thing I'll tell you, just a few little tips that I have found um, for teachers out there that are working to promote their classes is everything is really fleeting and fast. So people are going through your Insta stories. They're like, so if on Monday or Sunday night you post 16 classes that you're teaching for the whole week, it doesn't work as well as if every night before the night before or the afternoon before post be like tomorrow I'm teaching at 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Then people are like, okay, I kind of have a better idea of, you know, when, when I should be, when I can sign up. Like if you post about Sunday on the following Sunday, nobody's going to remember it. And then you got to like kind of keep going. And then it does become exhausting because you don't want to be a slave to it. So that's another thing. Have a system, have a system. I know for me what works, um, and what engages most people that are a lot of the people that are coming to my class too is people want to mix. They want a mix of what you're doing at work. And because I'm an open book, like a mix of who you are personally too. I mean, you know, take it or leave it. But so like every, you know, I'll throw up some random weird stories. I do share my kids on Instagram. I know that that's very controversial as well. So obviously only do what works for you and makes you feel comfortable. Um, and you know, people like, people want heart. Of course people want heart, but people also want humor. Like it's Instagram. And I do think when Instagram or Facebook or all the other things that I probably don't even know about can be used to like, to bring a community together and to, to share a common passion or to find other people. Like it's, it's a big hell yes to me. Um, and at the same time, like it can still be silly and fun and, um, enjoyable. Like if it, if it's eating up all your time, write yourself out like a system of, okay, I'm going to post this on this day and this on this day. And maybe that works better for you. Um, and maybe you'll see like what engages and what doesn't engaged. Usually when I put stuff up in my feed, it's stuff that I don't mind being around there for a long time. So if it's like a fleeting thought or something that maybe is like fleeting and I think is like absolutely hilarious. And then the next day I'm gonna be like, that wasn't that funny. Um, you know, story it, you can always delete it. (laughs) Um, if you look at any successful business, they are there. It's consistent. It's not like one day we are going to be jazz musicians of America. And then the next day, you know, they're like on the corner and now we're making cheeseburgers. It's like, there is like a constant theme or a rhythm or a cadence or a vibe that you're, you can flow with it. You can follow it. And, um, that was, that was, something amazing for me to learn because I can be all over the place and be like, I like this now and I like this. And I remember after we did one of our first photo shoots and we had used a few of the pictures and I had like sent, I think I was sending Carter, like, she's like, I need to do a picture today. And I like sent her some like random shot of me in my living room. She was like, no, (laughs) cute. She was like, this is, you know, I was like, I I think I'm kind of over the photo shoot and the colors. And she's like, too bad. This is your brand right now, you know, and not, not in an ugly way, but she was right. Like my brain was like, and we're here and we're bing, bing, bing. And if we're trying to create something, you got to give it some time to like, to catch, to catch a fire, I guess. And you can always recreate within the brand, but 
being consistent with it and seeing where it goes. It takes time. That is like really hard for someone like me because I'm like, we're seven weeks into our studio and our new studio. And, um, we have been, you know, it's, it's been amazing and wonderful. And there are still times where some of the classes are smaller or things don't trigger like I thought they would. But for the most part, I'm so glad I listened to people that knew more than me about this and like rode this wave out because otherwise it would have been a really strange, strange, like hippie diatribe, modern hip hop meets Ani DeFranco meets like, I've got a lot of feelings, but I lift heavy weights kind of thing, which isn't bad. But if you can like put a, a, like a feeling and a color and a picture with it and someone go, Oh wait, I get that. Then they can get that is when they open the door is all I'm trying to say. All right, guys. So rolling into my next topic. Okay. So here's the story. There can be such a level of anxiety. Even when I go to new studios, Um, a client of mine, she lives in New York. She spends her summers on the Island and she brought a trainer and she's a big Tracy Anderson person. And she brought a trainer in to work with her for the week. She flies her in and they're using the small studio in my, um, in my studio. I have two studio rooms. And yesterday she's like, Hey, why don't you join us? And I'm like, yeah, totally. I'm like a fitness person. (laughs) You guys, (laughs) I want to tell you this and I'm, I want you to visualize this. I want you to visualize a a fat cat (laughs) that got drunk without knowing it. Like someone like dosed the cat and the cat's trying to survive, (laughs) but it's not doing a good job. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This was me yesterday. (laughs) This girl, she was so beautiful too. She was like, it's probably like six, three. She was, she, her limbs were long. She looked like a swan. I mean, she walked into the studio. She'd gotten off her flight from New York. She came to the studio first. This is the trainer from Tracy Anderson. Um, her name was Tiffany and she was lovely. Like she had a sweet personality and she literally like walked into the room and I was like, I was like, I have a crush on you. You are such a babe. And I was like, are you a dancer? And she was like, yes. And she was like, looked at me and she didn't mean it mean, but it was just funny. And she was like, were you like a volleyball player (laughs) or a basketball player? (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, cool. (laughs) So anyway, I stood in the back of the class and like everybody knew what was going on, but me. And the way that the class moves is they don't, give instructions at first. So everyone is like sashaying. And I was like waiting. And I asked her too, before we started, I was like, do you need a mic? And she kind of like looked at me like cute. She's like, I'm not going to talk. And so she starts like doing her moves and moving side to side. And (laughs) I... I wish I had a video because Holly, one of my teachers was in there with me and she was like, I kept, Holly was like, I kept giving you side eye. And I was like, Holly, if I looked at you, I would have left the room laughing so hard I would have cried. And it wasn't because the workout was beautiful, but everyone knew what they were doing, but me. And so my point being is this, I stayed and my ass has actually has not been this sore in probably a year. And I'm not kidding. I work out a lot. I stayed, I did what I could. I enjoyed it. She was so sweet about it. Like I, I kept being like, holy shit. She's like, you got this girl, you know, and she was encouraging and it was a totally different experience, completely out of my comfort zone. I don't dance unless I've had like six pounds of Chardonnay. Okay. So I was in there dancing with ankle weights on and sweating. I was sweating from my knees and other spots that you don't want to know about, (laughs) but I stayed and I left and I actually had so much fun and it was so good to just like say like, 
fuck it and step out of my comfort zone and try something new. And I'm really, really glad I did. So gym anxiety, I get it. And just try it. You know, you go get 30 minutes in the class. If you're like freaking out, leave it. Nobody keeping you there, but try something new because you may be so, so surprised how much you love it. All right, guys, so we are sitting here with Jillian Zettler. Jillian Zettler. What kind of a sexy name is that? Um, And Jillian and I met about three years ago. That sounds right. Three or four years ago. And she has been a wonderful friend and person in my life, in and out professionally and personally. And tell us a little bit about you. Where do we want to start? Okay, I know. This is what everyone (laughs) says. They're like, what a terrible question. I was born in. Yeah. (laughs) So start with, um, okay, what got you to Charleston? My job. Um, I was selected as the new executive director of the Wine and Food Festival back in the middle of 2013. I was living in Greenville, South Carolina before that, uh, running a different food, wine, and music festival there for a number of years. And the job moved us. So we, I had always like looked at Charleston from afar and it was a place I wanted to be. And there was just like the universe was never putting all the pieces together And I kind of threw my hat in the ring for that position with this idea that if it happened, great. And if it didn't, that was fine too. And it all happened. Yeah, it did. And I'm (laughs) glad it did. Yes. (laughs) Um, So when you were, you were working for another festival in Greenville Mm -hmm. and is that what you've done? I graduated from Clemson with a degree in education. And, and when I graduated, I was also a single mom and teaching and being a single person is like near impossible in Mm -hmm. South Carolina. So a friend of mine suggested that I look at this job as um, a promotions director for radio station cluster in Greenville and like on a whim went in, got the gig and then like hard right turn as life does, but started working in promotions and marketing, worked for a record label, doing A&R for a little while, still based out of Greenville And then forayed into being the director of events for the Children's Museum as it was opening in Greenville and then like subsequently sold an event space opportunity to the person that was running Euphoria, which was the festival in Greenville. And um, while I was standing at the event, like overseeing it, I said to the board chair, you know, if the, if the person running the show ever leaves, I'm the person that should run the festival. Yeah. And, um, like two months later she submitted her resignation and I was like, here I am. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> it's me. Hello. Remember when I said that thing? <laughs> yeah. And they hired me. So that's awesome. And that was when you were still single mom and yeah. Hadn't met, hadn't met Spencer yet. Okay. And you told me that story and I think it's cute. So will you tell it again? Yes. <laughs> Spencer is my husband. Um, who is adorable by the way. He is adorable. He's Canadian. So he's very, so very nice. Um, He's neutral party. Yes. (laughs) We met, I actually knew his mom first. um, And it was kind of a funny story because we had both volunteered to pour wine at this event. They were short staffed. It was for a good cause. I was there with my counterpart at Euphoria. And like the way he'll tell the story is that he was watching me all night and I don't remember (laughs) seeing him at all. And we all went for drinks afterwards at a bar and he tried to buy me a drink. And I was like totally in this fantastic place of like, it's me, 
it's me professionally. It's me by myself. Like the first time I was like kind of feeling good in my own skin by myself. And I was like, it's all good. And he totally got his ego bruised because I bought my drink by myself. <laughs> and then you were like, boy, bye. <laughs> yeah. And then a couple weeks later, we ran into each other at a big party in Greenville. And he was standing there with this other, well, I saw my, his mother and she was like, oh my God, Jillian, I can't believe you never met my son. He's visiting from Canada. I turn around. Did you know that was who his mother was the first time you bought your own drink? No, I had no idea. Oh, so I didn't then know that I, part. She's like, here's my son that lives in Canada. And he like and does a like, slow turn? I'm like, oh, this is the guy <laughs> from the bar. Um, and he was with another girl, which of course made him way more appealing at that uh, point. Yeah. Um, like, I'll take the drink. <laughs> we had like a little eye conversation like found each other on Facebook and he actually became cooler to me because I just adored his mother and um, thought she was amazing. And you still do? And I still do. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. She's a, she's a rock star in her own right. Um, but we actually like, he was still living in Canada. He was a speed skater for the Canadian Olympic team, long track. And I'm going to pause you there for a second. Yeah. So we had this group ride for Jillian for her birthday <laughs> and it was a surprise. And Carter was there and a bunch of us were there from the studio. And there was this like super large but toned man on the front row in was that a speed skater outfit? It's like outfit. What's it it's called? It's like the like <laughs> like the like one of the like official cycling. I was like, so I was jealous of it. Yes, it was very, really cool. It's, it's like intense. a onesie. <laughs> yes. And he, it was so sweet. Okay, back in. I didn't yeah. know if that was an actual No, so he was costume. On, he had he was actually like walking with a cane when I met okay. him at the party and subsequently found out that he was in Greenville because he was rehabbing his knee. He was on the long track speed skating team for the Canadian Olympic team for Sochi. Um, he wasn't able to, Sachi, he wasn't able to rehab his knee. And I ended up getting a text message from him that was like, guess who's moving to Greenville? How about that first date? And like a week later, we had a first date at Sobeys and, um, five hours later and three months after that we were engaged. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's he's a really awesome. Yeah. He seems, I don't know him, but you make him sound like a really good guy. So he's, I believe you. He makes it pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have a daughter and a son that live with you. A daughter and a son. My daughter is going to be four in October and my son is 16 and my son is amazing and my daughter is a spitfire. <laughs> <laughs> They're very different kids. Yeah, yeah. And your son, you had your son when you were quite young. Yeah. Were you still in school? Yep. I was a sophomore at Clemson okay. when I had him. His dad and I dated in college and we're still friends. And he's got um, an amazing son of his own and an amazing wife. And he's a really good dad. And I think, thankfully, like we were young enough at the time, and but mature enough to kind of go, this is not really working, but if right. we try to work on being really good, good friends and co-parents, then we can still raise a really great human. And I think we've done a really good job of that. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah. Ethan has a crazy story. I mean, he grew up basically like we were still on campus at Clemson. And so I have visions in my head of him being like babysat by his uncle on the Lambda Chi fraternity <laughs> hall, <laughs> him coming to class with me. Yeah. And like, I just had, what amazing... was that like? Cause I mean, I mean, I think you and I are kind of almost the same age. I'm maybe like a little bit older than you, but we won't tell the whole world, just my two listeners. Um, <laughs> so was that, what was that like? I mean, at first, did y'all live in like the parent, did they, at, I went to NC state and they actually had housing for parents. Uh, that I don't know. Okay. I mean, I remember like I found out I was, I have one of those wacky stories where you're like, women don't find out they're pregnant when they're that pregnant. And for me, mm -hmm. like it was back in the day when they didn't like drop labels on, you know, 
prescription medicine for sinus infections. And lo and behold, thank you, like Leviquin and a crappy, you know, school healthcare system. Um, you know, I found out I was pregnant. I was almost five months pregnant. Oh my God. Yeah. I had no belly, just boobs. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of time to yeah. prepare. Yeah. And Ethan was due on Christmas day was his due date. And so like, consequently, I remember calling my mom and I was like ready for her to unload. And she was like, well, you like, you're having a baby Mm -hmm. and it's going to be okay. And you're not going to drop out of school. Right. And he's, you know, his due date is on Christmas. Go trek around, talk to your professors and be sure they'll keep you in class and we'll figure it out. Yeah. And ultimately, like, it was awesome with the exception of my French professor. My, mm-hmm. my only female professor that semester basically was like, who are you, you American women that think that you should have careers and not raise your children? Mm. And I was like, well, cool. hmm, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. get the degree. I'm going to learn Spanish. <laughs> so that I can really just be able to take care of my kid and take yeah. care of myself. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, but everybody else was fantastic. And one of my other male professors, actually, his wife had just had a baby. And he was like, do you have childcare?" I know this great woman. That's where my son ended up being watched for the first few years of his life. And yeah, he was just, you know, we just didn't know any better. I think we just did. And now looking back, I'm like, what the hell were you doing? (laughs) Yes. But I look at that like with my five-year-old and then I have two-year-old twins. And it's like with Waylon, um, I was so cautious and not that I'm not cautious, you know, whatever, in, in different scenarios or whatever, but I was so different with him than I am with the, the twins mentally. Yeah. Well, and he was like a little guinea pig. I was like going through class for, you know, elementary ed. And so I'm like learning all these things about child growth and development. And I have this like little nugget yeah. and he was just like such a mellow kid. Like he was the, he was the kid that I was meant to have at that point in so time. So awesome. And he's unreal. Yeah. I love it. So when you met Spencer, Spence, yeah, um, and you had a kid, he was like totally cool. Let's yeah. do this thing. Yeah. So we, um, I mean, it was all like pretty immediate. Like we got engaged. We got in October or in December, and we were married in May. And then I was pregnant in June, mm-hmm. and we ended yeah. up. Yeah, you know, we have a very similar path in that regard. Made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> so Jillian told me. <clears throat> one day after a yoga class that she had a loss much like I did with grace. And that was like our first time, like we hugged and sweated all over each other. It was like <laughs> yeah, six in sweat. the morning. It's not in sweat um, and tears. Yeah. Do you, will you share that story? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's like the universe. I feel like sometimes it's like, what can you handle? Right. Mm-hmm. And you can handle this and, Oh, you're going to handle a little bit more. So, you know, I found out I was pregnant, um, in, like right amidst the process of actually applying for the job here in Charleston. And I remember like thinking to myself, okay, I'm pregnant and we didn't necessarily, we weren't trying. And then the due date was like literally going to be right around the time of my very first festival in Charleston. The plan was to kind of move around Christmas time, celebrate our first holiday here in Charleston and then start the job, you know, in the beginning of January knowing I would be pregnant. And I remember actually, um, calling Dick Elliott, he Maverick Southern kitchens, high cotton Mm -hmm. snob, I mean, pretty, um, renowned restaurateur here in Charleston. He knew I was going through the interview process. And I just said, you know, Mr. Elliott, I'm, 
interviewing for this job and to be totally frank, like I'm pregnant and I don't want to take a job where people are going to be bothered by the fact that I want to be a mom. Mm -hmm. So if you think that like, that's an issue, I want to let you know now during the interview process, I don't want to surprise everybody and go like, you know, here I am and I'm pregnant. And he was like, Jillian, if anyone on the board has an issue with being pregnant, then I don't want you to come work here. Mm. And he was like an amazing advocate for me. I felt like, um, I subsequently had a couple more rounds of interviews after that, but it was, gosh, like we had gone for ultrasounds and you know, I've heard you say this in your story about grace, but I always felt like in the beginning of my pregnancy, something was like just kind of wonky. Um, and it just didn't feel right. And it's like you have, you have this, you know, I just like, I don't know. Like, obviously it's like so easy now to sit back and go like, did you know? But I feel like I knew something was not right. And in early December, um, like Spencer's birthday, we, I, we, know, I was actually (laughs) telling, I brought Ethan outside to say goodbye to his or to be picked up by his dad. And I'll never forget that I'm like standing there handing Ethan over to his dad. And I feel this like gush Mm. and I'm going, okay, like have fun. And I'm like literally still hugging him and sending him off with his dad, like keeping a straight face, keeping a straight face. And I walked down the driveway. We were actually like staying with my in-laws at the time because I didn't know if I'd get the job or not. Right. We weren't going to buy a house in Greenville if we were going to end up moving to Charleston. And I came inside to Spencer and I'm like, something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, long story short, you know, after like being on the phone and trying to convince the medical people on the other end of the phone, like, no, there's really something not right. Right, right. <laughs> we go into the hospital. They thought initially that I had placenta previa, uh-huh. um, you know, and that that was the issue. They pumped me up with magnesium and they were like, wanted to make sure I wasn't having like false labor. And ultimately, um, you know, that's what they believed. He seemed healthy. You know, um, they had me strapped to a heart monitor and they said, gear up to be in the hospital till your due date in March. So at first, that was December, that was early December. So like at first you're having this mental preparation that it's like, okay, December, January, February into early March, I'm going to be in a hospital for three and a half months. And I mean, much I mean, where we're similar, I'm yeah. sitting there going, I'm going to go stir crazy. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally. on bed rest Absolutely. and I'm going to be in a hospital for three and a half months. And I have this and it's new hard job. Enough, it's mental enough to be pregnant as it is. Yes. You know? So it's all that and then the fear and the worry. And, and we were supposed to move. Right. So you have like, this amazing job opportunity. All of our stuff is like, you know, like we are preparing this whole process to move out of town. And um, Pod sitting in the driveway at my in-law's house and all this stuff. And we were in the hospital for about three and a half weeks, uh, four weeks. And right at the end of the month, finally, for the first time in weeks, Spencer decides that he's going to go home and take a shower. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, go, I'm fine. (laughs) We're like, so in this routine at this point, go. Yeah. And I, um, had gone in for an ultrasound that morning and I could just tell, like, there was this like look on, the ultrasound tech's face that like something she was seeing was not Mm -hmm. normal. Mm -hmm. And so Spence ends up going for a shower. I'm sitting on the bed and all like seen from Grey's Anatomy, teaching hospital, GHS, Mm -hmm. seven doctors come in, including my doctor. And she's just like, why don't you sit down on the bed? 
And mm. I mean, is, like my whole body right now is covered in chills. Yeah. And, and she's like, where's Spencer? And I'm like, he went to go shower. Oh, why don't we wait till he comes You're back? Like, I'm no. like, uh-uh, right now. Yeah. Right now. <clears throat> she's like, well, we can either ride this out to the end or we can have a C-section and see how it goes. And I just said, if we ride it out and see how it goes, like, what are the odds? And she said, less than 1%. So I said, sign me up now for a yeah. C-section. Called Spencer. He rushes back to the hospital. You know, it all gets a little swirly. I remember, like, being wheeled to the operating room and seeing a friend from college who I hadn't seen since I was at Clemson mm -hmm. who was there with her It's a Boy balloons. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Jillian? Her husband, Jillian, yeah. yes, hi, oh my gosh, he's going, congratulations. And yeah. I'm like, congratulations. Yeah, no idea. And so in we go, you know, it's weird what you remember though. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I remember the anesthesiologist was this amazing guy with a crazy like beard, netting over it, tie-dyed cap. He says, you know, like, I want this to be relaxing for you as much as possible. What music do you want to hear? Who do you like? Um and so I, I was like, you know what? John Mayer. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, he is so hot. <laughs> I don't know. And he puts on John Mayer's version of Free Fallen. Oh, my God. And I'm like, like, you just, like, feel your whole body just start to, like, float away into nothingness. And, you know. Did you like, have a C-section with your first two? No. So you, this was also, and for those of you out there who have not had a C-section, mm -hmm. I had one with the twins, but not with the first. It's, it's. Everyone makes it sound so like, e not easy, but it's like people do it all the time. So, oh, you have a C-section. It's full fucking surgery. It's full fucking surgery. And I will say like, I will, I'll be the first to admit that I was like, you know, like women, natural births, warrior, C-section, gotta be easier. Like right. that was like my like dumb perspective on the whole thing. And it's fucking intense yeah. surgery. Yes. And then on top of that, like you're numb and you know you're going to be more numb. Yes. And, you know, you don't, this, people are like meddling in you and you can't feel anything, right, right. you know? Um, and much like you, like, I just remember nothing. Yeah. But the music. Yeah, yeah. It's, and I said this in that podcast after like, but it's like it was the most present I've ever been in my life. Like I dropped into my body, like you're saying. And it's like you could I could only focus on like the beeping of her monitors. Yeah. And like when they, you know, when they took her off, it was just like this flat line. And I remember like sitting um, knee to knee with the doctor who actually lives in my neighborhood, which is the craziest thing. And I looked at him like dead in the eyes and I said, do people survive this? And there's like, I mean, it's like, it literally looks like a TV episode. People are moving yeah. around you in like slow motion yep. and, and she's just sitting there and, and he I was like, see. he's like, you will survive this and you will, your life will go on. Yeah. I, my doctor, shout out to Aaron Thurston, amazing doctor, um, who like was not my primary doctor, but was the person that was on call in my group that, you know obviously got to know quite a bit better. She got to deliver me the news, but she had these piercing green eyes and I will never forget like seeing her through the mask mm -hmm. and the head cap and her getting down in front of me as they're doing, you know, mm -hmm. the epidural going, you will be okay. You will be okay. And, but it's this like swirling, whirly, shitty thing, yeah. you know, like you're numb, you can't move. It gets very blurry. 
I remember being like wheeled out to, to hold him mm-hmm. until he wasn't there anymore, which, mm-hmm. you know, we had 35 minutes yeah. and, you know, it's such, it's so surreal. It's surreal. And, and I'm so glad that you're sharing and, you know, we, you and I both, we have high vibes, we laugh, we love music and exercise, but this is real life. And I think it's people, it's so important for people to hear like real life because I remember going through it and I was like, I just wanted to know someone else had been there and got on the other side of it. And of course you hold it near and dear to your heart forever, but it's like, we're both survivors and like we both went on to have other children and it's just, you know, grief is really challenging. And especially when it's shocking grief from my own experience, like my mom had cancer. She was sick. My stepmom who was very close to a cancer. She was sick. I knew they were going to die. And that was tragic. But this changed my fucking life. Like I just, and I'm like, did I grow up with blinders on? I remember always saying to John, like over and over, I said it for a month. I would just be like, why did this happen? I was, why this? And finally one day he was like, babe, who the fuck do you think this should happen to? Like, and he loved, it was loving, but it was like, yeah. why I kept being like, why us? And he was like, why not us? Yeah. Like we are not like, just because we live in these houses and we, we have these careers and we were raised and we had, went to university and this and that, it doesn't mean that things don't happen, you know? And, and the things that are shocking and drop us into our lives, I think ultimately it, we can choose how they make us or they break us. And yeah. it doesn't mean that you want that for anybody, but it is, there's, there is beauty in the breakdown. There is success from failure or, or loss. And yeah, I mean, it's just like in, in that, like they bring you into the post-op and you're sitting there and in like one fell swoop, they're going, here's the birth certificate, sign it. Okay. Now here's the death certificate, sign it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then what do you want to do? Yep. You know? And it's just like this, like rapid fire decision-making, like we ultimately made the decision that you did. And we, you know, I just said, if, if, anything is going to come of this like it's not about like finding an answer of why like I remember that being in my heart but if it benefits somebody else to find out what happened yeah then that's where we're gonna roll but I just like that like it's just weird it's weird what your mind holds on to the like aching and the crying and the you know yeah. All of a sudden, I mean, the worst, the worst was the fucking like you're lactating afterwards and there's nothing to hold. I know. And I remember having, I would call my midwife came over and I was like, what do I do with this? Like, what the fuck do I do? And she was like, put on a bunch of sports bras. Don't let your breasts get wet. Like you just got to lock it up. No, my amazing sister was literally like putting like cabbage on my fucking tits, like so that I could just, yeah. You know, like, don't think about it. Just stand there. Yeah. I got you. And then when we got out of the hospital, like my in-laws had packed our pod with all of our stuff. Mm -hmm. My parents had flown down. We literally at this point, it's right before Christmas Mm -hmm. and we're still supposed to move. So we got in the car. Ethan's birthday is on the 23rd. So there was that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, see, that's a different element for, than I had. Like for me, I, my job was grief. And at the same time that I lost Grace, a friend of mine, Arian Rannigan, who is, uh, the, the charge nurse on the pediatric unit at MUSC, who I, we've raised money together. She's awesome. She lost her son Hayes at, I believe he was three or four months from a genetic disease which is I know how I lost Grace and I know how you lost your son as well. And they had been at Duke trying to save his life and he was actually doing really well. They gave him like a 90% survival rate, which she knows as a nurse is like huge. 
and he got like a cold. He didn't have um, any antibodies. Mm. And so they were doing like a whole transplant in his body and everything. And it was just really um, crazy because like a month after I lost Grace, she lost her son and it just threw us into this sisterhood, basically. It's like, you know, you you cling, I, I did at the time, like clung to people who were like, I've, I've been there or I'm going through this. Like I, cause it's such a, it, for me, people that dismissed it because they didn't know, you know, I'm sure. And I wonder if I did that before and not knew if someone had a stillborn or something like, God, that's fucking horrible. But like, they'll be okay on to the next thing. But until you like feel it, like, you know, I, I didn't know. Nobody knows what to say, you know? No, they don't, they don't know what to say. And but- so how did your son do with that. Oh, the reason why I said that, I'm sorry, is because she has another daughter as well. Yeah. Grayson is her older daughter. And she just had to, she's like, I have to be there for Grayson, you know? I mean, hard. I mean, hard. Like he was old enough. He was in fifth grade. He was also dealing with like moving mm-hmm. and making new friends. So there was just like literally and figuratively lots to unpack. Um, but, you know, so we ended up, you know, three days out of the hospital, two days out of the hospital. I was at Sky Zone. And like in a freaking like completely paralyzed, I will also say to my son's stepmom, like, I just remember her just like hand on the back, like, just be, just be. And we packed up and we moved and we, my entire family changed all their Christmas plans and showed up in Charleston and they set up my whole couch, like the whole house. I sat in the corner of the couch in the fetal position and they put every fork, knife, spoon, mm. sheet, towel away in our first house here. And it's just hearing that because there were so many amazing people that rallied around us too. It's like, that is for me was the, I don't want to say like, it, there was, that was like the silver lining, I guess. It was just seeing the love that people have and what they just, people wanted to help and what could they do? What could they do? And the crazy part, Sarah, is like <sighs> seven days after we arrived in Charleston, I had my first day as the executive director of the festival. And it was January 8th. And it was the same day I went back to Clemson after Ethan was born. I mean, <laughs> holy moly. That is crazy. Yeah. And, just, I mean, you've t- definitely touched on this, but for you, was the grieving process, how did that, what did it look like for you? And for your husband, even? I think that I moved, I don't want to say through it, because that doesn't, that doesn't feel right. I mean, I think, I think Spencer had a tougher time articulating it than Do than you think me. it was because it was his first or well, yeah or, or and I just, just like he was also like grieving for me and yeah. they feel helpless that they can't do anything for you yeah. and um we moved here and we didn't know anybody and he was also at the time working from home so there's like there's just no network of right. anything oh, like yeah. we knew we really didn't know a whole lot of people um and it was professionally like a huge step for my career. Mm -hmm. It was a much bigger event than I had ever planned before. Um, and I was obviously like pulled out of the house a lot and he's alone and it just, it just was a lot. Yeah. 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 Definitely. (laughs) Um, but I think, I think honestly it wasn't until it took a, it was, I don't know if it was honestly until I found the way to like reclaim how I felt about my body 
through the wellness mm-hmm. piece here. Mm-hmm. Um, and Katie Penta mm. and mm-hmm. God bless Katie Penta. God bless Katie Penta. <laughs> that like, I remember like going for my first men class. Like I just like, I gained weight and I felt crummy and I felt that was a hard thing for me too. And I don't think I've ever touched that on that, but like I was pregnant. I had a baby. I'd put weight on, you know, it was an exciting time. You're like, Oh, as women, especially we're like, I'm going to eat and I'm going to enjoy this. And your breasts are full and your body's full. And, and then it was summer and we had grace and John and I didn't want to be in our house. We were on a boat the whole summer. And I remember I would like put on a bathing suit top and like pull the skirt on over. And I was like, I just don't, I don't even want to look at my body. Cause mm-hmm. I feel so disappointed in my body. Yeah. Yep. 100%. And that it was, that was hard too. Cause I was like, in my head, I was like, lose all this weight. And then I'm like, and you know, it's like, you see all these commercials of women with their new babies or women talking on at the time it was like Facebook, like I have this baby, I need to lose weight. I'm like, you have your fucking baby in your arms. I hate you. Like, I know that's terrible, but that's how I felt. I was so jealous and sad and just like all these feelings and thoughts. And it was not a very, uh, joyful time. Let's put it that way for me. No. And, but it also like in hindsight, like it was kind of cathartic with a lot of different relationships. Like the people that like that like cut through the noise of the discomfort that they had in knowing what I had been through to just like be. Mm -hmm. And the people that were like, I reached out to you and I didn't hear anything from you. And you know, (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry through my grief and my new career and my sad husband and my other child, I didn't reach back out. And not in like, not, no, but like, and not even, (laughs) but not even in like in disdain, just in like, okay. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Faulty ATM machine. Like I'm not going to keep putting money into something that I'm not getting anything out of. Yes. Yeah, definitely. That's a great takeaway. I mean, you know, it's, you you walk away with certain pieces and that is, I can relate to that too. I feel like a lot of my friendships changed and I changed. I changed. And that, and that's too. And that, you know, I, that took me like coming to myself and being like, you know, you, you changed, that changed you too. So like, don't be going and putting your fingers on everybody else. Like you have to think like these people, maybe this is how it's always been. Yeah. And there was like, you know, a more surface layer relationship and the expectation probably was never going to go further. And so you shifted. Yeah. And, and that's okay. And you that know? is okay. And it's like a hundred percent, you know, it's not in really at this point in judgment of anyone else. It's just like, it, I think some of the beauty that came out of that is just, so much more resolute in the person that I want to be and the way that relationships ebb and flow Mm -hmm. and how I want my life and my days and my time to be filled with things that make me feel full of love and life Mm -hmm. and lightness. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. I agree. So will you tell us what it was like when your daughter was born? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Unreal. Well, I mean, she's so adorable. <laughs> she's awesome. But you know, like it was scary. We basically through our, the, the information that we ended up finding out, yes. which, um, you know, not to make a long story long. No, tell us, tell your damn story, girl. People <laughs> want to hear this and, and people, and it's important. The crazy thing was, I mean, there's so many bizarre moments in all of this, but when we, um, when we turned Ben over to the Greenwood Genetic Center, um, we, I met with um, the doctor or the researcher that we were working with, and I just said, my my request of you is that something good comes out of this for somebody. Um, And interestingly enough, it took a very, very long time for them to figure out what 
it was. And I have something called Fox P3. There's literally only 98 documented cases of it ever, ever. Mm -hmm. The first diagnosed case was in 1983. I was born in 1982. Gosh, that's crazy. But my mother had five miscarriages. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what they also found out is Fox P3 is only something that affects male babies. Mm -hmm. And so obviously I have a healthy little boy, Ethan. Um, So basically every time I get pregnant, there's a 50-50 chance if I have a boy that the the pregnancy will terminate. Um, And, you know, we hear this news, we're trying to decide if we're going to get pregnant or not get pregnant. We finally make the decision that, you know what, like, we're just going to do it and we're going to see how it goes. And on the, we found out we were pregnant and the a couple of days later we were taking a trip to Vermont. And the day that we told our parents, I got a call from the geneticist to tell me just that, that they, that they had figured out what it was. So just as we had oh kind of gosh. like given it over, <laughs> it was like, this is what you're up against. And, um, we ended up, and so you didn't know then if it was a female or male baby. No. Um, at that point we just knew that there could be an, you know, there could be an issue. And then here it was like the basically is a 25% chance that there will be a major issue. They can't do a, a fish test, which yep. determines the gender until so long. And then at that point, when they determine the gender, there can be a very ambiguous, you know, finding as to whether or right. not they're <clears throat> a carrier. And so it wasn't until I was 21 weeks that we knew that they were pretty sure that I was like, had been given the all clear. And then they had a false positive that live, um, had Turner syndrome, which mm-hmm. is another super mm-hmm. rare thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a friend who has a daughter with it. Yeah. And so, you know, they negated that eventually MUSC's, um, genetic center was amazing. And our, um, Sally Shields. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. It, they were amazing there. And so she was born on the day of the thousand year flood. <laughs> <laughs> So we were, you were like, Jesus, why? (laughs) So we had a scheduled, a scheduled C-section and down the water came. You had her at downtown. I had her at East Cooper. Okay, I had her at East Cooper and there were maybe two of us in the entire hospital, (laughs) but it felt very chic. We were the only ones there and she was a big old baby, nine pounds, 10 ounces. Oh man, you are not a big old girl. Well, my (laughs) Dr. Pound was like, yeah, I think we're going to maybe have to make this incision a little bit larger. She's bigger than we thought. And yeah, she's just, she's unreal. Yeah. And I don't know for some reason I could never picture myself with a daughter. I don't, I don't know why Mm -hmm. I just could never do it. And now I just feel like, like I just get this opportunity to just raise this fire breathing. Yeah. Amazing woman. Yes. I love it. Thank you. That's, I remember when Waylon was born, it was like, oh my God. I mean, they literally put him on my chest and I was like, I could just breathe. My midwife at the time was like, I love her. She's hilarious, but she was, she's competitive. Like I am, we'd known each other forever. We were actually, she was pregnant with her last daughter when I was pregnant with Grace and we both shared the same midwife. And then when I got pregnant with Waylon, she was like, I'm delivering this baby. I think I was like literally the last baby she delivered because she changed careers after and I'm not kidding. <laughs> and it was like 1140 and she's like, you gonna push this baby out or not? And I was like, I'm going to push the baby out. <laughs> she's like, we're not going another day. <laughs> and so, oh my God. I mean, it was like, I, I mean, it was, 
I don't know. It was like euphoric for me. It was just so, I was, it just felt like literally like redemption. Like someone had taken everything from me and then given it back in a better way. Yep. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk health and wellness. Okay. Okay. So you love fitness. I love and you fitness. Are, Jillian is an amazing spin instructor at Rev Aleutian downtown on Meeting Street. Um, talk to us about that. What does fitness do for you? Why do you love it? Why did you start? I mean, you, you teach spin and you also have a full-time job and you're a full-time mom. So you have to love it to do it. I do <laughs> it's love not like it. convenient. No, I was doing it every day. I mean, I was doing it every day because like it just like... It felt like for the first time I was like literally throwing gas back in my gas tank, you know, plus the musical component. Music has always been super important to me. Um, It's always been a part of my family and it's a way that I just feel like, like I can express so many emotions like when I need to. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like your backup dancer. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a like literal, I feel like there's always been a soundtrack to my life and I can think of songs at certain moments. And I remember going in there at the first time, I'm like, okay, this is like a dark room. Nobody's going to see me wearing an oversized t-shirt, feeling like ass. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hide against the wall. Mm -hmm. And I remember like doing the first class and going, you're so much stronger than this and you're out of breath and you feel miserable and F you like, I'm going to get back in that room and I'm going to do better because I, I know I can do better. And it just, I don't know. I just started to make space and time for myself to do it every day. And my husband is just, was like just trying to throw, you know, gasoline on the fire going like, this makes you feel good. Go do it. Make time. Go do it. Super supportive. Yeah. And, you know, Katie was saying that they were going to hold auditions. Um, and on a whim, I was like, this kind of scares the shit out of me. And I haven't had anything really scare me in a long time. Yes. And it's way out of my comfort zone. Totally. And I'm going to do it because it scares me. It's when the best things happen. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you are, you really are. You're awesome. Thank you. And I'm not just saying that. And I am picky as fuck. But I think, you know, the thing is like part of the transition to Charleston and the weightiness of the job and the politics that get rolled into big jobs mm-hmm. and all of that stuff, you know, for a while it didn't, I didn't feel like Charleston like loved me back. Like I so desperately wanted to love it before Mm -hmm. I was here. Mm -hmm. And then all the circumstances, I'm like, screw you. Mm -hmm. I've loved you for so long. (laughs) And it, it just, it didn't feel right until that piece. And I think what I love so much about the community here is that it's not about what your body looks mm-hmm. like. And I think we make up all these stories, you know, about why we don't fit in in certain places. And the reality is there are so many rooms here in Charleston mm-hmm. where people just love you exactly where, you at, where mm-hmm. you're at. Mm-hmm. Totally. I agree. I agree with that a lot. I think that for me, when I moved down here too, I didn't know it. I knew some people, but it wasn't, I didn't really necessarily know all the, the people that I would want to hang out with regularly now. <laughs> um, and getting into the, the I call it the fitness industry. I mean, ultimately it's what it is. And then finding my people and like finding my own connectivity. And I had taught before I came here, but I didn't own my own studio. And when I started the first studio at Charleston Power Yoga and then went on to the works, it's like, I feel like I found my, like my tribe, like my Kula and like my people. And I, I honestly, John's always like, I want to move to San Francisco. I mean, not really. Cause we both have family and business, but I'm like, I don't want to leave Charleston. I love it here. And I would never do this again anywhere else. Cause it's too much damn work. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So with that said, you took my class at the old studio, Charleston Mm -hmm. Power Yoga, and now you're with us at the works. What do you love about the works? Shameless plug. (laughs) I just like, it makes me feel so freaking strong. You know, like I love being, I love being on the bike very, very much, but there's something about moving in that space with all of those people in unison and like my body feels strong. And then I feel like you make me feel like a freaking rushing nesting doll. (laughs) Like we go down into half pigeon and no, like I cry almost every time and I don't feel bad about it. Like, you know, like sometimes I'll feel your hands on my back and I'm like, fuck you, Sarah. Like it just (laughs) like tears come and it feels so good. And I think that too, I'm so glad you said that because people are people that maybe don't experience it or haven't experienced it. They're like, why do you want to make people sad? I'm like, no, 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 that's not thing. Like crying doesn't mean you're sad. It's just healing. Like, do you know how much shit we hold in our bodies? Yeah. I mean, like parents, not parents, working people, like whatever it is, like we are constantly negotiating. And now we have this thing in our hand all the time looking at our phone. And so we're not only living our own lives, we're living a hundred fucking thousand million other people's lives and we're comparing ourselves and we're trying to pay our bills and do all these other, you know, live this life, eat the right way and all this stuff. And you come for me, like, that's how I feel in spin. And that's why I asked you because it's like, I always, it's like my church. Yes. Like I can get in there and I'm like, nobody can see me. Like I do my thing, you know? And I just think that movement therapy is so cathartic and it's so releasing and it's, I like talking therapy as well. Obviously I like to talk, but I find with movement therapy, I don't have to perpetuate things that it literally, it just comes in and it's out. I don't have to find the right words to say it. I don't have to tell anybody else about it. Yeah. I'm just like, and we're good. And there it is. I feel like in both spaces for me, it also like, it reminds me like just of humanity in general, you know, like I, I try to, whether I'm instructing and even when I'm in the room with you, it's like, it reminds me of, do you remember VH1 pop-up video? Yeah. So like, that's what I try to think about sometimes. It's like, you know what? There are a million stories happening around Mm -hmm. you right now that are probably stressful and sad and frightening and all the things. And pause for a minute to just consider that all these people around you are dealing with their own bag of shit. Mm -hmm. And that if you can hold that in your heart a little bit, that maybe, maybe you can just like exude a little bit of grace and a little bit of kindness. Totally. So for those of you that don't know what they do at revolution and I'm, I do have a few of my faves and I know everyone there is amazing. I'm just, you know, like I said, a fitness snob, it's basically, I would say like a, a yoga or a works class on a bike. I mean, you guys like push it's everything's to a beat. It's you ask a lot of us, but you give a lot in return. And I think that's where the relationship of trust comes from too. And that's, that is one thing that I always look for in instructors. Do I trust you anatomically is my body being led in a smart way? Yeah. Um, like I, for me, I don't want to just go into someone's room. Who's like, let, I'm going to fucking kill you. And I'm like, ah, please don't kill me. You know, like I can do that on my own. Um, and you know, there has to be a suppleness to it and, and a down. And I love that. I think it's like the third to last song or the second to last song where you like ride by yourself. Mm. And I remember the first spin class I took with Katie, she played a Coldplay song, which was like her mom, you know, yeah. and I was so, I mean, I was crying so hard. I couldn't catch my breath, yes. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> but it was like stuff I didn't know that I needed to process through as well. And to, yep. and to do by myself, I didn't, it didn't, it had nothing to do with John. It didn't have to do with my kids. It was just like things I was holding on to myself. So, and I, when I say like the music's the backup dancer, I think that people that can put together a playlist really well too, 
it helps it. It, I, I love music as well. I taught a private actually right before I came here and the girl had, she had taken my class once at the studio. She lives in San Francisco and she was out at a rental and she was like, we were like moving to like an Usher song. <laughs> she was like, were you a dancer? I was like, was this body a dancer? <laughs> I was like, no. She's like, you know how to move to a beat. <laughs> um, so I love, I just think it's, I think what we're doing is very like symbiotic off of the yeah, two studios. I and I really love that. I really love that. And I love that we're all supportive of each other too, which is huge. Yes. Go I Meeting agree. Street. Go Meeting Street. So let's talk about the festival. Okay. So will you tell, will you, will you tell us about your job a little? Cause I don't even know. Like I know you're like kind of the boss <laughs> bitch, I don't know. Uh, but I'm like, I don't know what Julie does. She's in charge. <laughs> so I'm the executive director of the festival. It was started in 2006. Um, I took over from the founding executive director. It was, it started as a two day festival, primarily in Marion square, um, big, you know, park epicenter of downtown, like a grand, kind of a grand tasting experience. There were subsequent like ancillary events from, you know, beverage workshops and things that were added after that. And at this point it's grown into a five day festival. And it's humongous. Yes. I mean, it's huge. It's yes. And you know, and I will say like one of the things that, that at least I've been, we've spent a lot of time thinking about, not just me, we have is just the size that it feels in, relation to Charleston. So I think it's as big as it will be under my direction, mm-hmm. um, at least. So it's, you know, over 120 events that take place over those five days, beverage workshops, so cooking how do you classes. Like, I mean, do you just like mainline caffeine for five days? Well, it's <laughs> like just, well, I don't know. Events don't stress me out. I don't get That's why stressed. you're good at them. I don't, I just, I've never really gotten stressed when my first event that I ever did when I was working in radio and like horrible promotion thing with Jesse McCartney on Clemson's (laughs) campus. And I remember we had this huge meet and greet to do. And I was with my boss at the time and the like Duke energy nuclear power plant sirens start going off. And we've got like 400 people outside for a meet and greet and his plane had hadn't landed. And it was like all hell was breaking loose and I was getting super panicky. And he looked at me and he was like, look, if you're going to do this, you have to be able to decide, like, I can control the things that I can control and you can, you can't control the things. What that a good can. life lesson. Yeah. And he was like, so tennis match, bounce the ball back. What are you going to do? And I just like that analogy stuck with me, like rather than get stressed to me, it's like the ultimate game of tennis, mm-hmm. like throw the crap at me. I'm going to bounce it back. Right. Um, and I have an amazing, amazing team. Like it's so much team. more than me. Like I am a blip on the radar of the magic that happens. You're a good leader though. Well, thanks. But you are. I and that's okay. You should, you should acknowledge that because those girls, they don't like hang out with you and take your classes cause they hate you or <laughs> want to like go get a dinner with you or whatever, you know, I think that's a huge part of it too. Like leadership is, it's a skill, you know, it's like you can't have people like running all over you, but at the same time, like you, there has to be a give and take. And well, I mean, they know, I think that like for me, the mantra internally is patience, gentleness, kindness. I mean, that's a personal mantra. It's a mantra at work. We have it, you know, it's 24 feet wide in our office space on the wall. Yeah. Um, and I just think that sometimes like there's this idea that you have to be like aggressive or intense or angry to be like to hold your space in positions of power. And I just don't believe that, you know, like anything that is said at any given time can be said with patience, gentleness, and kindness. And, um, I always try to take a breath 
mm-hmm. before responding. And mm-hmm. I think that I've got a team around me that like knows that that's how I want them to operate. Yeah. And they do a great job. They do. They do. Um, so do you have any like crazy stories about a crazy event or? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully like, all right, so I'll give you one and hopefully PETA doesn't come after me, but so we did an event. PETA's not listening. Don't uh, worry. We did an event a few years ago called chicken shit bingo. <laughs> it's like a thing that they do in Texas and John Lewis, Lewis barbecue wanted to do this event. You have basically a chicken on a bingo board and wherever they shit is what the number is. And if they do all of your numbers, then you win a prize. Yeah. So we had this event that we were hosting at Lewis and we had organized with a local farm that they were going to give us a chicken. And lo and behold, hour before the event, nobody had brought the chicken. So, <laughs> so my, so you're like in deep chicken shit. We are deep in it. And the, um, one of my team members at the time, you know, um, Mary Austin, she like is calling, she like raised here in Charleston. She's trying to find us a chicken at the (laughs) 11th hour, finds someone out in like Onda who has a chicken and says, if she can get there, she can have it. So she literally has, goes out to Onda in an Uber. Oh my God, stop. They're chasing the chicken around get it into, uh, and they're nocturnal chickens, right? So she gets it into a Tupperware container and ends up holding it in the Uber (laughs) to come back down to Lewis Barbecue. Wait, is the chicken asleep? It wasn't when they were trying to get it into the Tupperware container. So the thing rides out from Onda to downtown Charleston, plays chicken shit bingo, like, gets back in the Uber, back in the Tupperware container, and goes back, <laughs> and the thing laid an egg this morning. Oh, my God. That's a, that's a good story. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, like, the festival is, you know, I'll, I'll, steal, I'll steal Mary's analogy when she worked with us. She always used to say, like, like get, launching the festival each year is like pulling a cruise ship out of a tiny dock. Mm. And, like, once it's moving, it's great, but there's a million moving parts. And I think it's, you know, people that do events understand there's a million things that go into them and know it doesn't just miraculously appear like a month beforehand, but it is like magic and you get a sick and twisted pleasure, I think either out of the event high or you are like, that is not for me. Yeah. Yeah. I was not built for that. Well, it's because there's so many things for those of you that aren't familiar with the festival. There's like a million things happening all at once or not a million, but you know, like there's like because it's not on one site. So there's a big thing that we do in um, Marion Square, which is, I guess, a park. Yeah. And that's like the big event. And that's three days of the event? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that's like where they have, everyone comes out, they have like a marketplace. and Yeah, it's like the most festival-like experience. So tasting, samplings, main stage, music. I mean, there's a lot. super fun. You know, there's like 12,000 people that come through there over the three days. And then there's events like off-site. I've done two events and like, one, it was this namaste bubbly and it's this beautiful room. I mean, I think we've like 250 people in there and I taught a yoga class and then everyone had champagne and all these vendors are there. I mean, it's, it's, it seems like quite an operation. Yeah. It's, it's massive. Yeah. I mean, we got a multi-million How many people does budget. it bring to Charleston? We had just over 23,000 last year <sighs> and it's about 50, 50 of local and out of town. That's awesome. Yeah, it's that, it's pretty amazing. It is really amazing. And as soon as it's over, it starts. It's like Groundhog Day. It starts. But right you guys back would take again. off like a week. 
we, I mean, reconciliation takes like a month, so we don't even really shut down until the end, the early April. And then I remember we'll, seeing, I think Gabby, like right that little time that you guys have off, like a few days. Yeah, and she was we'll like, take a week of like shutdown and then we're back at it, back at it. But like, I feel like this year, like rhythmically, the shutdown was so stinking smooth that like that's when you know you're at it because it's the back end like mm-hmm. if the back end is mayhem to me then the, the front end was obviously a shit show right and this year was pretty fantastic on the back end that's awesome that's awesome so do I, so tickets go on sale for 2019 2020 2020 oh my god 2020 old <laughs> end of august <laughs> august 28th man man that's awesome yeah and sells out pretty quick yeah, the, a we, lot of the big events. Yeah, I would, like half of the inventory usually goes in the first week, but there's usually a lot of great stuff still. But we do things that are, you know, twenty people, twelve people to a thousand people. Right. So you know, there's lots of the smaller things, the more intimate things go really, really quick. Yeah, awesome. All right, so I have a question for you. Okay, you're on a deserted island. Yeah, your kids, you're there. Your husband's there. Okay, all the people you love are there. You're lucky. I don't usually give people that three things you can bring. Ooh. <laughs> oh my God. Three things, three things. Um, okay. Let me tell you one other Wi-Fi. thing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, hold on, let me make it better. So there is coconuts there. So you think coconuts you can eat, you can drink. I'm not saying you want to live on coconuts, but if you're worried about hydration, cause I can see you have like 27 waters right next I to your feet. Do, I mean, my team is always making fun of how I'm, many drinks I, am a, I have. I'm a, I'm a hydrator, not a crazy person myself. So um, some way to listen to music. Okay. I would say. Got to feed these people. Got to <laughs> feed the people. Oh my God. You're going to get rescued in three months. I'm so bad at this. <laughs> Rapid fire. What am I? What am I? Like, so I would, I, I'm trying to help you, but I'm not going to help you anymore. But I'll tell you what I would do after you go. <laughs> You'll tell me what you would do. All right, so we have coconuts, we have music. <laughs> we got coconuts, we got music. We got all the people I love. Oh, my God. Is this going to be an event at am Wine Am I and naked food? and afraid? Do I have clothes on? You, are, you might be naked, but you're not afraid. Oh, my God. I, God. I don't, like, want for a lot in that regard. Something comfy to sleep on can I bring a great mattress yeah, I mean I'm, girl you get to bring two more things all right but just think you cannot live on coconut <laughs> and I'm going to bring uh, rx bars I'm lame that's good I think that was good so you brought music rx bars and a great mattress I know the freaking executive director of the wine and food festival is saying give me a fucking bar of dates those and rx bars whites. are good i actually talked about them on a podcast the other it's day sustenance it is it's good a day long so here's what i would bring okay <laughs> i would bring a supreme pizza with everything on it that's so much you sexier. gotta think in advance P- pick the vegetables off some days you have a piece of cheese Oh. Sometimes you only have the cheese. So it's like a never ending supply of the pizzas. Yeah. The pizzas just keep coming out. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're like 700 pounds when you leave the island. <laughs> you're not hungry. But you're hydrated. <laughs> and you're hydrated. I think I'd bring a, a speaker as well. Yeah. And then I'd either bring a supply of highballs energy drink <laughs> or probably tequila to go with my coconuts. I'm really just thinking about partnership down the line <laughs> because there's RX bars and there's highball. Yeah. Yeah. Hint, hint. Hint, hint. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Love you. I love you too. 
Don't you guys just love her? I mean, she is such a wonderful woman and friend and mother and person, and I'm just so glad that she came on. So thank you guys always, always for listening. If you have yet to subscribe to us, please do, and give us like a 25-star rating because, you know, we really like doing this. Bye.